With the coronavirus outbreak still dominating our lives, stock market volatility looks set to continue as the markets struggle to interpret the economic fallout from the crisis. While investors can easily be forgiven for wanting to flee the carnage and hide their money in the safest possible place, there are still options out there, even in the worst hit sectors. Airlines, cruise liners, hotel chains, entertainment operators, car manufacturers and oil companies have been hammered. But some will be better placed to bounce back when the crisis starts to ease. And don't forget other sectors such as supermarkets, online retailers and healthcare have benefited during the outbreak. So what is the outlook for assets such as stocks, bonds and gold now? And what can investors do to protect their portfolio? I'm Alice Hayne, the personal finance editor of The National. And once again, I am hosting this podcast from my house as I join the many UAE residents working from home. Joining me today is Maurice Gravier, the Chief Investment Officer at Emirates MBD. Welcome to the show, Maurice. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Now, during my 15 years in the UAE, there have been two significant financial crises that have really kept me on my toes as a business journalist. We had the global financial crisis of 2008 to 2009, and now we have COVID-19. These are crazy times. So how are you feeling about the markets right now, Morris, particularly as we head into earnings season? Feeling is uh, really the right word. Um, in a nutshell, I would tell you that confident in the long term, but very nervous in the short term. I mean, this is a very unusual crisis. It's not typical, you know, when you look back at other financial crises over the over the years. You know, essentially, this is a healthcare crisis that is now causing the global economy to grind to a halt. So, what, you know, why why is this one particularly different? Oh well, to to, to so many extent, but you said it. The, the, the first difference is, of course, uh, it is a healthcare crisis, and um, and actually, the economic and financial crisis has been. Uh, triggered by governments trying to fight the, the, the healthcare crisis. Uh, the point is that um, governments have to fight battles on three fronts, which is another thing that makes it so particular. The first front, of course, is the pandemic itself. You have to you have to put it under control and you have to defeat it uh, over time. But um, in the meantime, you have two other battles: avoid the financial crisis and avoid irreversible damage being done to the economy. Uh, through, uh, you know, permanent job destruction. So we have three battles to fight, which makes it very different from other uh, crises. So how has this migrated down to the markets? You know, what have been the headline numbers that investors have had to watch over the last few weeks? Uh, on markets, it's uh, we can probably look at equities. You know, uh, equity, global equities lost 35%, one third of their value in um, in in some weeks before recovering more or less uh, half of that. And um, on the monetary front, we have seen more than 50 red cuts around the world and reds have been uh, are now at, uh, at zero in the US. I think it's the, it's the big headline numbers about what has happened. I mean, and obviously it was a very worrying time for a lot of investors that they were holding their money at the time. But when that kind of big crash happened, how, how were you reacting to that? Mm. There is no. Um, uh, we 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 have a very simple investment process, um, which tries to be uh, non-emotional. Because when you when you see these kind of crashes, you really have to uh, to, to to ask yourself, okay, uh, there are the, the, there are so many information and so many emotional pressure that uh, we look at three things that are, I must say, very rational. The first one is 
what is the backdrop, you know, what's happening to the economy. And second is the valuations, because uh, any investment decision, it's not only about what happens, it's about what happens compared to what is priced in. And, uh, and this helps you navigate these kind of crashes just by having an idea of, okay, has it gone too far yet or is it over or not? And then the third thing, the most difficult probably to, uh, to rationalize, are the behavioral factors. Uh, where are the flows? Is it panic? Where is the sentiment, the positioning? And when we put all that together, uh, the backdrop, we now have an idea of what's happening. Valuation is a given. You can extract what's priced in. And behavioral factor, I think that's most of the force settings behind us. And this reasoning, when you have a crash, uh, you, you have to have a process. And with this process, I must say, we've been lucky enough to significantly cut our exposure to equities in February because of valuation. We said, okay, our fair value are rich. We are in February and we see downside risk with the virus. So we cut. We were not expecting the crash, but we cut because of valuation. When the crash happened with the same exact logic of valuation, uh, we said, okay, it, it has gone too far and we bought back what we had sold, something like 25% lower. We have had the perfect timing, which means some luck, but it's luck from a process. It's probably not just, uh, we don't do short-term moves. It's just having this constant framework to look at things. And valuation is the most important to, uh, to know what to do in a crash. So we bought back. Now we're mostly neutral to tell you everything. But I mean, there's been a lot of stimulus measures from the central banks around the world um, and you know, lots of new interest rate cuts as well, trying to get the markets moving again. Initially, there wasn't much of a response to that. Why was that? Oh, yes. Um, you know, your, your, your question is um, absolutely central to all that we do because it's about the market efficiency. You know, uh, our market's efficient. They are supposed to be. And um, if... If you are an active investor like we are, you have to believe in some efficiency, which means that without that, you cannot make a difference by reasoning. Uh, we believe in efficiency. Having said that, there are times um, when there is the technicals are everything. And the technicals are, in this occurrence was very simply forced sellers everywhere. It was a panic selling because people had just to cut their losses to fund their other losses. You, you had... Um, many, many positions in many structured products, you know, um, typically reverse convertible where people are paid uh, a coupon if a low probability even doesn't happen, which is like a basket of stocks losing more than 20%, these kind of things. But the point is that low probability doesn't mean zero probability. So it's happened massively and you've had many people who, who, who suddenly became, they were probably too leveraged, they were probably too confident in these products. And these products have been sold certainly way too aggressively by many private banks to many clients who only sold just the coupon. And you had all these people suddenly uh, leveraged, having no choice than to, to, to face their margin call by selling. So when you are in this kind of panic selling episode, the central bank, whoever can do whatever they want, it won't change the market once this unemotional, non-price sensitive selling uh, stream is, um, is over. Now we think it's over. If that has now stopped, Maurice, let's look at different asset classes more closely and, and assess what investors should do from here. If we take a look at equities first of all, what's been the story so far and what should we expect now? Hmm. 
so it is the story so far. Uh, first, we, we, we've had many years happening in the first quarter. You, as you remember, the, the quarter started very well with, uh, with very good growth prospects and earnings being up and markets being up. And then we lost 35% in two weeks and we recovered half of that. Uh, now, uh, Looking forward, some sectors have really been hammered, the most cyclical, the most indebted, and we uh, and we we wouldn't recommend to just buy the most bombed out uh, things. We, we we look at equity markets in general. We think that currently what they are pricing in, you 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 see our framework is backdrop valuation and behavioral factors. Yes, behavioral factors for selling is probably over. Uh, the backdrop, our assumption is that. The virus should be under control in the coming weeks or months, and we assume that most of the restrictions will be lifted by the summer. And under this assumption, which is a kind of a, an act of faith, but we believe this is going to happen, under these assumptions, uh, equity markets are currently close to our own fair value. So it means um, we are close to pricing in our own scenario. That's why we don't have a strong directional view for the medium term for equities, especially developed markets, because they have been very quick to recover and to integrate this consensual scenario, which will probably happen. But if it doesn't, and if we have reasons to fear that it doesn't happen in the meantime, we have some downside risk. Um, that's why we, we are a bit underweight now on developed market equities. Having said that, emerging market equities are a different story because you still have the secular growth drivers and a much more reasonable valuation. Uh, when you think that Chinese domestic equities are only down 7% year to date, uh, you can feel that, yes, something might be happening over there. So we overweight emerging market equities, but we are cautious on developed market equities and overall neutral because we are between this long-term confidence and high short-term uncertainty. I mean, the summer is hopeful. I mean, we're all hoping that some of the movement restrictions will be loosened by then. But really, we we just don't know, do we? Uh, well, you, you're you're right in a way. We don't know, but uh, we we can we can look east uh, to have clues. And when we see that uh, Hong Kong is functioning uh, quite well, that Singapore is also doing uh, quite well, uh, you know, if we if we look at this, we we, we can reasonably think uh, that there are ways to live with this virus, uh, waiting for the definitive, well, if one day it really disappears, it will be because of a vaccine, maybe it's going to be something we'll have to live with, like the seasonal flu, you know, seasonal flu, uh, a century ago, it killed many people, now we, we all live with the seasonal flu, because we have, we have the tools to fight it year after year, and, and I think uh, we need probably one year, two years, we will find the tools, the, the, the best pharmaceutical companies are working on it, they will find a solution. I have no doubt. It's just about being able to live in the meantime with that. What about the, what? which sectors do you consider to be the kind of winners and losers of this crisis? Who's really going to come out of this well? Hmm. Uh, well, uh, if you look at what has happened um, this year so far, uh, global index is down something like 17%. And... Um, Within that, the most cyclical sectors, energy should be down 40%, uh, finance, industrial, material, they are all down more than 20%, the most cyclical and the most indebted. Uh, so they are, they are the current losers of the stock market. Um, 
are there all opportunities? We don't think so, because uh, whatever happens on the virus, and let's assume that our scenario is right and that we can live with it and that it's a, it's a recession, but a short-term one, um, I think that the future is about uh, lower growth than the past decade because the cycle was old. And if it's lower growth and lower demand in particular, uh, we would probably, in terms of region, definitely favor emerging markets. And in terms of sectors, we like the sectors uh, who can live with a low demand, which is either essential sectors, uh, food stables, you know, you mentioned supermarkets, it, it, uh, it works, or really the, the, the food producers, but also, and more importantly, the sectors that create their own demand, and especially through innovation, which leads to healthcare and technology. Uh, it's not very original, but it's still very compelling. And what about bonds, Morris? I mean, they're a traditional safe haven um, that people buy into. Is that something to watch at the moment? Yes, it is definitely something to watch with definitely the utmost selectivity. Um, what has happened on bonds is, um, you know, two opposite forces. If you take a, a bond yield, it's made out of a rate component and a credit risk spread that, that comes on top depending on the, on the risk of the of the bond and of the issuer. So logically, what has happened is that the rates have gone down, of course, because of central bank actions and because of the growth prospects. But the spreads have gone up because of the highest cyclical risk. So you have um, many bonds, high-risk bonds, providing very high yield. Uh, and you have the safest bonds, like the developed market government bonds, that have very low yields and, uh, as you know, negative in, uh, in Europe, in Japan, in Switzerland, in, in these kind of places. Um, we believe that you have to take the opportunity of the spreads that you find in quality. It means two segments. First is investment-grade corporate, you know, the high-quality companies. Uh, their spreads have widened. Uh, it will not last long because the Fed is there and provide a, a backstop for that. And you can get 2-3% on high-quality issuers. There is no reason not to take it. 2-3% looking forward is an interesting yield. Nobody dreams with that, but... Um, you know, in the coming years, uh, 2 3% is the new 5 6% that we had before. So first segment, investment grade corporate. Second one, emerging market, quality sovereigns. Uh, because, um, again, they have these secular growth drivers still in place. Uh, they have higher growth and they have spread. So uh, these two areas are interesting. What you should not touch is developed market high yield, too risky. And developed market government bonds, yields are too low. Interesting. And what about other safe havens such as gold and cash? I mean, a lot of investors just pulling all their money out, just sticking it in a bank account. Is, is that something you would advise at the moment? Honestly, um, let, let, let's start with cash. Uh, what happens with cash is that the, all the rates, all the yields have evaporated. Of course, the, 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 we're discussing 50 uh, rate cuts all around the world. You have no yield but you have no downside risk if it's your reference currency and you have absolute flexibility. So uh, what we tell to our clients, it, it's um, quite radical, but if your investment horizon, your real investment horizon based on your goals, your personal situation, your risks, if it's less than two years, just go on cash. That's fine. You won't have return, but you won't have risk. We are in high volatility regime. So Cash is very important in a portfolio. Uh, it doesn't provide any yield, but this flexibility and this security. Gold is a, 
is a different story because we 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 are overweight both. Um, we we were overweight last year. We then we then cut to neutral and we are overweight again. And here the rationale is is very simple. Um, the entire world is creating trillions of US dollars out of thin air, you know, pure balance sheet expansion from central banks. We are creating everything and gold is one currency that you cannot print. It's, you know, as simple as that. It doesn't yield anything, but relatively in terms of real yield, you, you don't find real yield without risk uh, anywhere. So it is complicated. Okay, so with that in mind, I mean, how long do you think that this crisis is going to last? You know, are we entering a recession? Are we even talking about a depression? You know, what's the outlook here? Hmm. We are definitely in a recession. There's absolutely, absolutely no question. Uh, we are talking about uh, uh, maybe 30, 40 million people losing their jobs um, temporarily, hopefully, but losing their jobs uh, now in some weeks in the, in the US alone, the, the last three weeks have accumulated 17 million initial jobless claims. You know, it, it, it's absolutely huge. And um, so we are in a recession, that's absolutely no question. Our scenario is that um, we will have some form of recovery in H2 when we will have been able to live with this virus. It's not, it will not be totally defeated, but we will have been able to, you know, flatten the curve, uh, raise the bar of, um, of the hospital capacity, and probably with social distancing measures that allow people to, to work, we will live with it. So we expect some kind of recovery. A Great Depression, we don't think, because uh, yes, unemployment can jump to 20% in the US, but it can also, and it will also hopefully, go back to 5 6%. It's not going to be the 3% that we used to have, and that's why we don't think we are in a depression looking forward, but we are in a very low growth environment. We also have levels of debt that absolutely impact on your potential growth. So uh, the future is not as black as the Great Depression. It's not the same drivers, uh, but it's a future of low growth, especially in developed markets. If potentially people's jobs, are, you know, they're going to be able to get jobs back quite quickly once we ease out of this sort of measure the restrictive measures that we're facing at the moment what should investors do if if there's if they have cash to invest what should they be doing right now uh again the the, the, the first thing to do really um it's always true but but it has never been that important to do a portfolio sanity check and what i mean by that is really defining your real investment horizon you know not theoretically just taking into account your own situation. Are you at risk at losing your job? You know, when do you need your money for your project for for for, for I don't know your your kids going to university or whatever? Uh, your real investment horizon. If it's again less than two years, just stay in cash. Don't take any risk because um, volatility will remain extreme. We are in uncharted territory. We have a kind of news flow coming from everywhere, from the virus itself, the pandemic, the the economy, the debt, the central banks, and uh, uh, earnings season that stuff, volatility will be extreme. So if you are on the short term, don't take any risk. If you have three years, five years, seven years, whatever of investment horizon, it's a perfect time. Perfect time. Uh, um, I mean it. Uh, expected returns for the long term are better than what they were three months ago because the starting valuation are cheaper. And it matters for the long-term return. It, it really does. So if you have three years or more, 
there is a relevant asset allocation for you, always very diversified. I mean, it's about cash, fixed income, equity, and alternatives. Um, we have this kind of profile, and we think it is very relevant, especially if you invest like with a plan, you know, by tranches. That, that's a way to deal with volatility. You invest every month, or you, you, you make a plan and you stick to it unemotionally. You will deal with volatility, and the long-term expected returns are quite good. So with that in mind, we're now going to bring in a question from a listener, um, which kind of ties into what you've just said, which is about trying to be unemotional about it. Have your finances been affected by coronavirus? Or do you have a personal finance question that you would like us to answer? Send us your stories and questions to pf at the national.ae. And remember that PF stands for personal finance. So this is a question from TN in Dubai, and the question goes, I hold a portfolio of exchange-traded funds, which I started investing into two years ago. Markets have now crashed, and the value of my holding is significantly down. So what should I do? Get out now or hold on for the long term? So what would your advice be there, Maurice? Hmm. Um, well, as always, the advice is to look at the future as if, as if you had no... Uh, losses or gains in your portfolio and about your investment horizon. If you are, again, more than three, five years, you, 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 you can probably keep it. But uh, just ETF, I don't know the underlying. If it's uh, stock ETFs, uh, I mean, over, over two years, we, 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 are, we are probably higher now on global equities than we were two years ago. Um, uh, you know, last year, US equities were up 30%. This year, they are down something like 14% as I speak. Um, again, it's not a bad window to cut and to take your losses. Even if you have some losses, it's, it's never nice to take. But um, if this, uh, I don't know your situation, Tihan, but uh, if you are playing short-term, don't play short-term. It's not the right time to do any kind of short-term bet and speculation, and it's true as well for excessive leverage. Um, we are in very dangerous time unless you have a long horizon. So, um if you need your money in one year, uh, just take your losses. I'm sorry to, to advise you that, but take your losses and keep your money safe. If you have three years, consider on an asset allocation that matches. So, I mean, often I think I think in this case, this person has a long-term horizon. So hopefully, you know, they should then just hang up, maybe buy more because prices are low. So if they have the spare money, they should buy more in, um, if they have a long-term philosophy. Absolutely. It's about having a balanced balanced portfolio. In a, Really, the growth differential between emerging markets and developed markets will only grow and the valuation is much cheaper. So if I have one advice for the long term, it's really not to forget emerging markets. With all that in mind, Morris, and all this uncertainty, I mean, what should investors be doing to protect <clears throat> their finances at this time? Well, the, the answer is definitely about uh, a sufficient time horizon and diversification. Uh, what they shouldn't do, for sure, is to try to protect their portfolio by buying put options, you know, optional protection. They are way too expensive. And you don't need them as long as you have three, five, seven years. You have to be diversified, not only in asset classes, but also across regions. And we think there are opportunities if you are diversified in asset classes with an overweight in emerging markets, in particular, in terms of region and in quality business models and in issuers for the long run. This is the winning combination for the next five to seven years. And again, expected returns are very decent for the long term starting for now. 
Thank you for that, Morris. These are truly unusual times and it's definitely a subject we could keep talking about on and on and on. But thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you this week to Morris Gravier. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me on pf at thenational.ae. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates and also leave a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison. I've been your host, Alice Haynes.